This is Scott Becker with the Becker Group Business and Women's Leadership Podcast and Webinar Series. We appreciate people joining us today. Uh, we have five fantastic panelists today on the subject of how to personally and professionally drive and find motivation through this difficult period of time, and then what does recovery look like? Again, we'll work through with our panelists really three core questions. We'll ask each of our panelists to introduce themselves, and we've got five great panelists today. Then we'll talk to them about what's their best advice to personally and professionally thrive through this period of time and stay motivated, and then what does recovery look like? Um, let me quickly give a roundup of the panelists, then I'll ask each of them to to join in and give an introduction on themselves. We've got Samiksa Gupta, brilliant sort of financial person, advisor to companies, a former McKinsey consultant, now at an investment banking firm, and sort of a brilliant advisor type of person. And Samiksa, I know you'll correct my exact description of Maru and what your firm does. We have Justin Breen, who's a journalist for 20 years, started a public relations firm a few years ago, is one of the most high energy and insightful and connecting person that we know. And so thrilled to have Justin with us today. Lourdes Paredes, who is, and Lourdes, you'll actually, you'll improve my pronunciation so I don't mess it up too badly. Lourdes is a brilliant wellness person, Columbia University. Uh, she's been teaching yoga for 20 years. And then on the other side, the other part of her right and left brain, she founded a media platform several years back, and it produces a beautiful set of media products related to wellness and so forth. Will Conaway, who is now an independent consultant, but has served as a CIO, highly regarded business person and motivational person, and also teaches college at, I think, Cornell University or a great, great school on the East Coast. Again, really bright, really gifted person. Amy Hall is a leader at Physicians Realty, a publicly traded company. Um, again, a business leader and a mother of three and extremely great analytical and personal skills. So thrilled to have Amy on today. Amy, let me start in that direction and, and let you take a moment and do a better job of introducing yourself than me, and then we'll start getting into the substance of the podcast, of the webinar. Sure. First of all, thanks, Scott, for, for having me, and um, thank you all for, for being here today. Um, my name is Amy Hall. Um, like Scott said, I'm Vice President of Leasing um, at Physicians Realty Trust. Um, we're a publicly traded medical office building REIT, so interesting time to be um, a part of that sector. Um, so I oversee our um, leasing team there. So we help um, doctors find their office spaces and um, renew their contracts. Um, but more importantly, we just um, expand partnerships with our um, physicians. Um, so I am a mother of three and a, a wife um, and former um, uh, collegiate swimmer. Um, so that's where a lot of my DNA can, um, comes from. So uh, thanks for having me today and look forward to the discussion. Thank you. Will? Thanks, Scott. I have a very diverse background in leadership and executive leadership roles in the automotive, consulting, and healthcare industries. Um, my work's been a blend over the years of operations, strategy, and technology. I've worked for three of the largest healthcare systems in the United States. Uh, my most recent role, as you noted, 
was with Prime Healthcare, being their Vice President and Chief Information Officer. In addition, I work at Cornell University as their vertical lead at leadership, where I teach courses to some of the finest master level students in the, in the world in the disciplines of psychology of leadership, decision making strategies, and negotiations. I'm on the Forbes Technology Council, the chair of the Kansas State University Psychology Alumni Association. I'm on the executive leadership team for the American Heart Association in LA and on the Los Angeles World Affairs Council. I've been on the consumer advisory boards at AT&T, Verizon, and Manifest, and I served on the Board of Governors at the Federation of American Hospitals. Thank you, Will, and I know great experience and a great following, and thank you for joining us. Lourdes? Hi, Scott. Great to see uh, to be with you again. Um, so as, as you mentioned, I have been teaching yoga for 20 years, and you know, back in the day when not everyone was a yoga teacher. There's a lot of yoga teachers now. So I was really um, a pioneer in this gig economy. Um, and then also what has now become the wellness industry, which is a $4.2 trillion global economy. But, you know, at the time was just, you know, doing what I love. And I'm very fortunate to have uh, began when I did. And um, some of my cl current clients for many years include high performers, including our former mayor, Emmanuel. And so really working with people to um, uh, both be balanced physically and mentally and really turn on their mental game through, through uh, yoga. I also created a media platform so my passion for wellness, I wanted to just expand it beyond teaching yoga. So um, I found that print and digital is a really great way to access and share, share this lifestyle. Thank you very much. Uh, Justin, a moment on yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Justin Breen. Started my uh, PR from Brepic a little over three years ago, and it's uh, – been a lot of fun. I uh, was a journalist for 20 years before that and based my entire business model based on how PR firms annoy me for 20 years. So it's just been a lot of fun uh, working with some of the best people on a, a global level. My firm only works with visionaries who look at things as uh, investments, not costs. So it's weeded out all the nonsense and only focused on the very best of the best. So I'll also have a book coming out uh, May 19th called Epic Business. Really excited about it. Basically details uh, how I built this business uh, in less than three years to a, a global powerhouse. So can't wait to share this story with the world. Justin, thank you very much. Samiksha? Hi, Scott and everyone. Thanks for having me here. This is Samiksha Gupta. As Scott mentioned, I've kind of grown up in the financial services and management consulting space. I have 10 plus years of experience working in the client service space, former investment banker at JP Morgan, then spent five years at McKinsey and Company, and now in my current role, based out of New York City, working for a professional services firm, Meru. We partner with a lot of private equity firms on their portfolio companies and helping them identify their growth objectives and putting them on a path to profitability. So I, I love what I do, working with businesses, helping them um, optimize their operations and, and helping them along their growth journey. Thank you. So Michelle, let me start with you. And, and let me also encourage our audience anytime to type in a question and we'll try and make sure we get to that at some point during this discussion. Samiksha, question for you. First is you're in New York City and sort of what's going on there 
you know, obviously compared to the rest of the country, at least from all the new situations, it looks just like a very challenging situation. So talk to us for a moment about what's going on there. And then second is, how do you stay your best thoughts on staying professionally motivated in, in after things and excited and personally motivated in this time of crisis? How do you stay professionally and personally motivated in what's going on in New York City? Sure, absolutely. So on the first part on what's happening in New York City, my heart absolutely bleeds because New York has been my home for so long. When I see the news cycle and um, kind of dovetailing into my next question, but I was traveling abroad when the crisis hit and all the planes got grounded. So I'm still stranded abroad um, for better or worse. I'm actually not in Manhattan at the t at right now, but just staying connected with my friends and colleagues. It, it is pretty um, disheartening to just hear the stories. I think people are still, you know, maintaining their New Yorker attitude and wanting to stay positive with everything and how the situation has unfolded. I, I don't think anybody saw it coming. And especially when you compare it to San Francisco, you know, where things have kind of started to plateau and flatten, not so much in New York. I think there's certainly questions of what could have the city have done better to prepare themselves to kind of get ahead of the situation. But again, I think they're bearing the brunt of um, being the first ones in the country to kind of face this challenge. Let me ask you a question. What's it like being stranded outside of New York City, being stranded outside of you know, how, how do you manage and stay motivated and focused and centered being stranded outside? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fantastic question. And there are certainly days when I have withdrawals and I'm ready to get back to my home in New York. And, and I recognize there are no flights that can take me there. So I think one of the thoughts, very simple thought that keeps me going is just be grateful, right? Like it is in a way a blessing in a disguise. I personally know three people who were diagnosed positive with the virus and they're all like my peers my age so in a way I feel like it's a blessing in disguise and and I'm staying with my parents um, abroad so in a way I get to spend time with my parents that I haven't done in 20 plus years so all in all I'm just very grateful in a way how the situation unfolded for for me and I, I understand not everyone is as unfortunate but that's the thought that kind of keeps me going even though there is no end in sight right now but at least I, I count my blessings um, the way I can. How are your friends doing that have been diagnosed with COVID-19? Um, they have all luckily recovered and their symptoms were um, mild to moderate, I would say. I think based on my conversation with them, they all felt like it was a flu. Luckily, none, they could all just stay at home and, and be treated. I think the challenge is some of them had roommates or fiancés who also got the virus because of them and you know, by that time, the city ran out of tests to conduct, so they were just asked to stay home and just self-manage the symptoms, which is an unfortunate, you know, byproduct of just not being able to foresee what was coming, and, you know, whoever, the early mover, like, whoever got there first got a test, and the this next wave was asked to stay home, especially given that they were in their 20s and 30s and, and were not in need of, like, critical um, care. So that's kind of how um, the situation unfolded for those guys. Thank you. And, and Justin, let me ask you, your best thoughts, and we'll come back to some in a little bit, your best thoughts on personal and professional motivation in this challenging time? 
Yeah, so I, I think I have an interesting take on this because even, even before um, COVID happened, uh, I just have this very, very, very high abundance mentality, no matter what the situation is. And, and um, I think when you have that on a daily basis, it attracts other people like that on a global level. So, um, you know, me personally and my business personally, it's, they've exploded because the, the folks I hang out with their visionary abundant mindset and they're just pivoting and investing heavily in, in getting their stories out to the world. So, you know, I, you know, it seems simple to just say, stay positive, stay positive, but it really is true when you are constantly thinking in a positive, productive way. It just attracts other people like that and it leads to endless joy and business opportunities. And, and is it ever work for you to stay endlessly positive? I mean, for many of us, you know, two days we wake up positive, one day not so much. I have one kid who wakes up every morning positive, one kid who's more like me who wakes up some days positive, some days not so positive. Is it ever work for you to maintain that abundantly positive attitude? Are there things you have to do to keep that going in that direction? Yep, so um, 95% of my day is just talking to incredible people around the world. And like, honestly, it's like a drug for me. I never get tired of it. It's not work for me. It's just fun. Um, I could do it, if I didn't have to sleep, I could do that 24 seven. So I've created a business that basically lets me do whatever I want to do and what I'm really good at. So it's not hard at all to stay positive because I'm just enjoying, just enjoying this. Like it's just fun and helping so many people on a global level. I mean, it's, you just, I, I don't ever get tired of it and it's super easy to stay positive and motivated because it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Is there a life lesson you would share from that with your children or with other professionals? Yep. So my uh, sons are seven and five, both boy or they're both boys, obviously. And so I am constantly telling them about entrepreneurial lessons, about, you know, learning from failures, staying positive, working with only the best businesses and brands and, and all this joy that you can have from it and freedom to do what you want and work with the people you want to. So those lessons are already starting to rub off on them. And uh, I think all of, you know, leaders and, and CEOs and entrepreneurs, we can be the leaders by example, by just displaying this abundant attitude. And, you know, obviously not everyone's going to understand that or follow, but you, uh, people will see it. And then some of them will follow you and, and raise up their own tribes. Thank you very much. And we'll come back to yourself as well in a little bit. Lourdes, you also have this incredibly positive attitude. What, what do you do to stay personally, professionally motivated? What advice for others? And I know through good and bad times, you sort of maintain that sort of positivity and inquisitive mind. How do you do that? Um, thanks, Scott. And I'm definitely going to be reaching out to Justin because I like positive people. So I've really seen this shelter in place um, time as an opportunity to slow down, reset and reconnect um, with my mission and my vision. Because for me, having a vision versus just having a job is what really drives me forward. Um, so for me, I'm still teaching um, and working on Illumin. I've interviewed 20 wellness industry professionals about what's going on for them with this situation, and I've just, uh, you know, seen that I can still impact people even without leaving my house. And without the rush of having to get to places, because I teach um, every morning somewhere, 
um, some days as early as 5.30 and most days as early as 7. And so I've just taken those times. I've turned my um, uh, about 40 to an hour long morning routine into three hours where I do a long meditation. I journal. I get ready. I plan my day. I plan my week. I look at all of my clients and what projects I need to do. Things that, you know, kind of get short shifted when I don't have the time. And it's just given me both a daily rhythm and a schedule as well as a big vision, like where can I go from here? And so really having vision, I think is one of the personal ways that I stay motivated. And also professionally, you know, not just showing up at a job and just going through emotions, but really like showing up, like the people I teach yoga to and people who I'm writing for, like this, for them to get centered and show up in their best selves, whether it's by Zoom or taking care of their kids and working from home, like like people need this work now. So I felt really um, both energized by this time, um, personally motiv motivated and actually like sort of revisioned and refined my vision. So very um connected to what goes on internally. And I think those are the people who will survive and thrive in this. And no matter what industry they're in is people who can really shift their mind from, it looks like there's not a lot of opportunities to, oh my God, there's so many opportunities and innovations and pivots. And if I can do it, I'll stay uh, in my life, in my job, like people want to be around me, like kind of similar to Justin, but I've, I've really taken on like a personal practice that I think I'm going to continue on. So fantastic. And, and we heard from you sort of four or five different notions, slow down, reset, reconnect, maintain structure, journal, meditate, look at things through the mentality of this positive mindset of where can we go? What can I do? What's, what's positive versus what's negative? I, I also mm -hmm. heard from, you know, similar thing from Justin on this high abundance mentality of don't look at it as though the world is scarce and, and falling apart. And some of us get into that mindset. Sometimes we get scared. I certainly do sometimes. And so hearing those thoughts is extremely healthy. And then, then Samiksa, this great view of be grateful and it transcends into so many different things. The time to spend with your parents, you thought you'd never spend again. Even the, the concept of like, yes, I've had all these friends that have had this dreadful thing, oh, but a breath, they're largely okay. And, and there's lots to be grateful for as we, as we look at all this and, and try and sort of distance yourself from all the TV, all the news, all the everything. So it's so great thoughts from all of you. And we'll come back to each of you in a, in a couple of minutes. Will, your thoughts on best thoughts on staying personally and professionally motivated through this? Uh, and then, then we've got a question for you as well from uh, a student of yours. Okay. Uh, I've kind of got this into two sections that are kind of multi-part, but this question fit in very nicely to an article that I wrote uh, in Forbes that was published earlier this month entitled The Psychology of Leadership. It's my own three categories of motivation theory. And it places people in one of three main categories, that being the checklist technician, the rewards artist, and the societal. And it's very important that uh, we have that self-awareness and understand which group he or she predominantly falls into. So I'm going to run through these. The 
less technician during these times. So you're, if you're a person who experiences an overwhelming feeling of accomplishment uh, when you complete a task or you can check it off a list, then you fall into this category. Uh, as a checklist technician, you thrive under task tension, which improves your cognitive abil abilities. So there's a motive for you in completing a task and an inner sense of pride upon completing things. So I suggest that these people during these times work on projects where they can be highly focused on things where they have a clear understanding of direction and they need to ensure that their tasks have OKRs, which are objectives and key results, or metrics in place. This will help them stay productive and motivated. The rewards artist, and most of us enjoy the feeling of being recognized for our efforts. For some, it's so motivating that they base their own, or I should probably should say they base how they think others view them on the rewards that they receive. Uh, there's no reason that these type of people at this time cannot find high visibility during this pandemic. So also this person has a good opportunity to be intensely motivating and inspiring to their coworkers during these times. These people need to make sure that their team gains recognition crisis. And these people are very good in that they can build productive coalitions that can push agendas to completion, which is very motivating to all stakeholders. And the last group in the societal, these are the ones who find their primary work motivation with the people they work with, the people that they have the most interactions with. And we all know these people. They're the people who who text you after work, they're the people that text vendors after work and on the weekends. Additionally, these are the people that can be the pick-me-up for other people. And by making other people feel important by their over-attention, it can create a real positive emotional contagion. These people are also the connectors that can get delayed items moving with their social talents, which will be extremely motivating for not only these people, but for all the people around them during this pandemic. And something, just one last quick item, I'm gonna ping on to something. That Laura said is that I think we need to really remind ourselves that whether there's a pandemic or not, keep yourself motivating is about focusing on your goals. And I normally find that when people fail, it's a term I call diversionary focus. That's when you keep finding yourself working on things that don't promote your core goal. These types of diversions obviously are going to be much more likely to happen with people are exceedingly worried as most of us are about the pandemic. But you need to, so I guess my advice would be, Take a step back, define your core goal, and envision yourself at that desired end state. If you cannot clearly define your goal, then it'll be nearly impossible to attain success. And one last key item that a few of the people have touched upon, know your purpose. When you have a purpose of the why you exist and, what, and the why, you can be add that as part of your personal mission statement, and that can bring a strong goal foundation that will lead to an increased success. And as we know, success or even the thought of success in itself is highly motivating. Will, let me ask you this question. The three core types of motivational personalities, you would say the most important thing is if you know your own type, embrace it because it keeps you happy and moving in the right direction, even if your goals and purpose aren't perfectly. And, and, I, and I know you said some variant of that. The three types are the checklist task person who gains pleasure from checking things off the task. The social type of workforce person who really gains pleasure or motivation and picks up energy from talking to others at work and so forth. There was a third type that I missed. Could you just quickly or, or maybe really quickly summarize the yes. three types? Yeah, the, 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 I'll hit on to the rewards artist. And that's the person who works for rewards 
and they, their whole life is motivated around what they win, what they receive. And my point to these people is that they need to find high visibility work during this pandemic, and that work is still there. They can still do things that are very high visibility that makes themselves feel good. Also, these people are extremely motivating to people they work with because they can find goals for them and they can find awards for these people to win too or on their team. And they can push agendas like nobody else, which would be extremely motivating for all stakeholders. So thank you very, very much. So really three types of sort of motivational thoughts and my own sort of pivot on it would be that you don't have to judge yourself. Understand yourself, understand what works. You don't have to judge whether it's getting perfect productivity, perfect effectiveness or not. But there's the taskless people, there's the people that like external rewards, and there's those people that are really social and, and gain motivation for their social. And all of those are okay. Uh, just understanding what works for you. Exactly. Amy, let me move to you in terms of personal professional motivation. I, I, I know great athlete, great analytical person, great personal skills person. How do you sort of see, keep yourself professionally and personally motivated? Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, so, you know, I think in these times, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with, with everything that comes at us. You know, I think we've heard a lot of best case scenarios of how it would be. It's, it is great every day to surround yourself with the best people to have, you know, the best attitude all day, every day. And, and it, that is, that's the goal. Absolutely. But I don't know that that's the reality. Um, and I think in, if that's not the reality, um, every day, you know, what I try to do is operate in 15 minute increments, you know, in the midst of a trauma, um, you know, 15 minutes at a time, do the next best thing for the next 15 minutes. Um, and so when you're overwhelmed and you can think of one decision, you just operate one decision at a time and you figure that out, partition your day and you make one decision at a time, and then you move on to the next one. Um, and I think it, peeling that back a little bit and making one good decision at a time really helps break that down. So I, I really try to operate in that way. Um, and then when it comes and you turn that back around and you, you look at leading people, um, start by leading with compassion and concern. Um, this day and age, that's done over the phone. <laughs> you know, you can't quite sit face to face with people. Um, over the phone or Zoom meetings or whatever, but genuine compassion and concern um, and, and without fear, um, really trying to um, get to um, the heart of the matter with people and, and really understanding where they are um, and not having fear here because we didn't have control before um, this COVID crisis, and we're not going to have control after that, and realizing that we we don't hold the keys to all of this, um, and then just discovering the good in the situation, um, and then just looking around us and seeing all of the good, um, and I think one of the, the great things of this is the forced innovation um, that is happening in the midst of this. In five weeks, we're seeing um, innovating like we would never imagine, and um, there's going to be a lot of good that comes from that, and there's part of the good is that we're learning to connect with people in ways that we didn't before. So um, I think if we can do those things and really um, connect with people with compassion and concern, um, not have fear, there's nothing to be afraid of um, as long as we realize we're not in control here and, um, you know, make small decisions at a time and not try to take everything on. 
um, then we have a lot of opportunity to, to change people's lives and do it in a way that um, can impact their lives for a long time to come. Well, fantastic. I'm going to take about a minute and summarize the thoughts on the first part of the call in terms of professional personal motivation. Then I'm going to come back around and ask each of our panelists, what does recovery look like and how do they best sort of prepare for recovery? Um, Amy, magnificent thoughts, sort of one decision at a time. Second, deal with people you deal with, with compassion and concern and empathy. Third is do your best to sort of limit fear. And, and fear is a real thing for a lot of us. Try your best to figure out how to limit it and, and persevere. Uh, fourth is I love the idea of blocking down time. You say 15 minutes at a time. What am I doing these next 15 minutes? What are the things I'm getting done then and moving on? And, and fifth, sort of see the good in things. Um, some of the other things we've heard today, just in terms of summarizing quickly, um, concepts from Will on, you know, really look at understand your motivational style, and it can come in different ways. Understand it, and don't be afraid to embrace it. Try and connect it to higher purposes, but know yourself. Don't be afraid of that and, and embrace that. Lourdes, a number of different thoughts around using this as a time to reset, to reconnect, to slow down, things that work for you, talking to lots of different people in the same area, structure, journaling, meditation, you know, really trying to look at this as opportunistic and abundant versus negative. Justin, a heavy dose of abundant mentality, high abundance. How do I look at this and, you know, where are the positive opportunities? How do I energize myself? How do I find passion and keep at it and do the things I love do it, doing, even if they're done virtually versus in person now, and keep on talking to bright, smart people, people that have energy that lifts your energy too. Samiksha, uh, you know, again, brilliantly stated to find the reasons to be grateful now. And then that's part of keeping motivated to see how you stay sort of positive and, and grateful and with all these challenges, look at the, half, the glass half full as much as you can. And I think that's just great thoughts. So make sure, let me start with you again. Um, how do you look at recovery and anything you could do to prepare for recovery besides getting back home? Yeah, no, you know, I, I was looking at that question. It's an interesting question, right? If you think about it from an economy's standpoint, right? Like what does recovery look like? It's a tough one to answer because on one hand, you know, we're seeing the unemployment numbers spike up, right? We're, we're talking about a retail apocalypse where retailers are going under very quickly. People are getting furloughed. On the other hand, the markets are like Dow Jones is re registering its highest weekly gains. So it's kind of like a, you know, like, it doesn't make sense. You're hearing contradicting messages in the economy and, and you know, a big part of the recovery is going to be that how do we bounce back economically? How do we re-employ those people who have been furloughed or let go in the last four to six weeks? And, and how do we ensure that we maintain a balance between saving our lives versus livelihood? And that's been a classic moral dilemma that I think governments are facing all around the globe at this point. And I, my personal view is I think it's important to protect the vulnerable population in our society. I think it's important to be smart about this. I don't think we can rush into reopening the economy and, and let things be. I, I think it's important to, to be very smart. It requires public 
private partnership from large businesses and the government to really understand um, and, and provide people the guidance they need to, to make the right decisions along the way. Thank you. And certainly it's a complicated situation. The stock market is a, a fascinating sort of like witness point, but we all know that, you know, there's two parts of everything, people's jobs and how they make money day to day, how they find self-explanation day to day. And then second is their net worth. And the net worth is far less important in the long run, particularly given that half our countries hardly invest in the stock market, so it's really meaningless to half our country. And so far more important that ultimately people have jobs and they have jobs that they could work, make a living, find some self-actualization and more. And that part of the recovery is in far more important in a lot of ways than the stock market upticks, which are you know important but not nearly as important as a whole mass of people having jobs and, and being busy and, and making a living. Um, exactly, completely agree. Like, I don't think the stock market alone is an indicator of how the broader population is currently doing and, and managing the situation. No, exactly. And there's so many things that impact the stock market, you know, artificially versus officially versus the money supply versus all kinds of things that don't necessarily translate into jobs and people working and making a living. Justin, thoughts from you on recovery and what it looks like and anything you do to prepare for it? So a couple of things to that. One, it's a really good question. Um, 95, 97% of the country in the world is probably in a state of panic, scarcity mentality. The, the folks that are in my network, they're in the 3 to 5% with total abundance mentality. And uh, they're investing heavily right now. So it's, you know, it's really like what side of the thing do you want to be on? Do you want to be in that large majority that has the scarcity and the scared mentality right now? Or do you want to be on the other the other the other team the folks that are making a lot of money right now they're helping a lot of people and they're leading right now so you know that's a decision that i make every day and i'm constantly reinforcing it into myself to be like this these are the folks that that i want to interact with because they're the they're the leaders and um you know it's always great being an entrepreneur especially now i think it's really really cool because entrepreneurs uh, are the ones that are leading right now. I mean, obviously the government is doing a lot of things as well, but entrepreneurs many times in times of crisis, they're the ones that, that innovate, that figure out things, how to move forward, how to lead, how to have the help people stay positive and stuff. So like, I'm just happy to be a, an entrepreneur leading the way right now. And I hope as many people kind of like follow along and, and have this mentality as well. And just my question, a lot of those entrepreneurs aren't doing as well economically right now as they might otherwise do, but they're still maintaining a positive attitude. That's exactly right. So I know, I know I'm in all these like international entrepreneurial groups and I know folks that are losing, you know, have lost 90% of their business. And to your point, they are, they've never been more positive. Um, one, just because like being an entrepreneur, this is the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. This is how it is. So most of the folks in society who have faced this upheaval of not knowing where to work and strange hours and all that stuff. I mean, being an entrepreneur, that's kind of how it's like every single day. So you kind of get used to it. Um, and then again, it, you're because you're an entrepreneur, you know how to quickly pivot and just brush it off easier. So again, even companies that are losing a lot of money, I, I know the CEOs and leaders 
they are staying immensely positive and, and they'll, they'll be the ones that, that get out of this, the ones that are positive and, and move forward and pivot the right way. The ones that don't, they'll just be left behind and they'll go away. I mean, that's just how business works. It's so important. And it's individuals, it's, it's everybody. I won't even discuss the government, but to try and stay as anti-fragile as possible, which means as healthy as possible in so many ways, which Lourdes talks about so much, and then also as, you know, as, you know, as low in debt as possible as individuals and companies, because you become very fragile in a bad time when you're more indebted in a different conversation and a deeper conversation, but makes him, you know, sees a lot of that in the company she consults with and advises. Lourdes, some of your thoughts on recovery and, and what it looks like and what you can do to prepare for it. Yeah, I have um, a couple points coming from going from like inner to outer uh, work, like the inner work, the mental game, really. And, um, and it's not just the woo woo. I'm really talking about like the kind of mental preparation that Olympic athletes, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan are known for, like that relentlessness of your mind and knowing your vision is ultra important from um, uh, being a student to being an executive, like the mental game, being able to shift is the most important work. I think that we can work on um, during this time when we don't have a commute or all the other, you know, other stuff that's going on. Um, I don't have kids, so I don't have that going on. But, you know, there's there's some things that uh, free up some time for now. And whether that's professionally and, and using telehealth or self-help, like if some things were irritating and bothering you in your workplace before, it's not going to get better after six weeks, you know, of not being in there. Like if there's things that you need to let go of and forgive and clarify and, um, uh, and even just realize this job isn't a good fit for me. Like this is the time to know that and just reset and have an exit plan. I'm not saying quit your job tomorrow, but I am saying, you know, if you're not loving your life now, it's probably not going to get better after six weeks of being in isolation. Um, but, it, but I think that's a fascinating point because mm. in isolation or in being sort of in lockdown, mm -hmm. the, um, the things that bother you the most bother you more you know it's mm -hmm. almost like through the course of uh of uh, of most things weaknesses get weaker and 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 so forth so but just because they're bothering you more right now doesn't mean they weren't bothering you before and there's something to be set for reflecting on those things and figuring are there ways to adjust them coming out of recovery right and was the busyness of a job or the stress of a job uh covering up how much they were irritating you you know, remove the um, outside forces. And if you're still irritated by, you know, your coworker who chews louder and, you know, or a boss who is un, uh, um, uh, irresponsible, like it's not going to get better just because you had five weeks off, you know what I mean? Or five weeks out. So like really get clear on, on what um, and why you're doing what you're doing. And if it's a, not a good fit, it's kind of like staying in a bad marriage. It doesn't get better just because you're both gritting it out. It's like that. Like people around you will feel better when you make a different decision. And um, I ultimately, you're, you're happier and healthier. Um, 
the other thing people were mentioning, um, you know, learning and using this time to really grow and then elevate the people around you. Like, let's come back to our whatever normal was, <laughs> our re-entry. Everybody is better for having had this time. So if you're reading a book, tell people about what you learned from that book. Elevate your colleagues and um, don't just... Uh, you know, do this internal work. Cause that's one of the things that I'm trying to do is really like communicate. What am I learning from these interviews that I'm doing from the books that I'm reading from having a stronger and um, longer um, morning routine. Um, and then also really get to some financial wellness. And I don't just mean money in the bank, but that also, um, having financial wellness for me is feeling really comfortable um, making money, like feeling good about how I make money and what I'm doing with that. So I've actually had some good conversations with my financial advisors in the last few weeks and um, really get uh, comfortable with you know, your financial wellness, because that is a big part of our wellness. A lot of the stress that was happening in the first few weeks of this um, uh, shelter in place was because there was a lot of economic instability. So I'm not saying that anyone was um, uh, free of that, but how can we work on um, our financial wellness now and going forward so that this doesn't happen again? Like, how can we learn from what was going on? So, for example, um, only two of the wellness professionals that I spoke to, um, their companies have um, some financial uh, commitments to their companies. So, like yoga studios and um, 1099 uh, teachers, trainers, massage therapists, mental health workers, they didn't have, you know, any... Um, unemployment or that kind of uh, stability. Well, I can't say no one did, but you know, it wasn't built into their jobs. Um, Lululemon was, is um, securing um, salary. They're doing salary protection through the first week of June. You know, that's, that's something that people in that, in, in their company can rely on. And so there was some financial wellness that that company built in and their top executives took 20% to be able to fund that. And, you know, like what can we do now um, in whatever size business we have that we can really build financial wellness for the future? No, thank you very, very much. It, it certainly exposes some of the great challenges of, of the sort of gig world, the gig economy we work in where when things stop, there are none of those gigs and those people don't have money at all. And so, so how do you either, you know, there, there's, there's old virtues of preparing for a rainy day saving and so forth. There's, there's just very big challenges in our structure of our just economy. And it's the, I believe it's the best kind of system we have as an economy, but it's still an imperfect system. So, so how do you sort of build in this financial wellness, which is so critical to thriving in good times and surviving in these challenging times. It's a really scary situation. Um, right. Thank you. Will, any thoughts on sort of um, thriving post this and, 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 you know, recovery, what does it look like? Yeah. You know, this question to me feels a little like the gap between my two cents and a penny for your thoughts 
it's it's a tough question. You know, I, I think one of the things I I'm not a big proponent of a lot of the catchphrases being used right now, such as uh, the new normal. Uh, to me, this term means that a switch has been, so to say, flipped on and everybody's now moving in a specific direction. I don't really see it that way. What I have learned is that change is, isn't what is most disruptive for most people. It's the transitions. Transitions are the disruptive items. You know, transitions are never a linear event and transitions are an evolving incidents that can go upward and downward as well as forward and backwards and unfortunately often sideways. So what do we do? I believe there must be a holistic approach that will require a plan that is no less extensive than the Marshall Plan, which was the European recovery program that helped rebuild uh, Europe after World War II. You know, there's so many moving parts. Our approach must be one that includes and involves the individual, each county, each state, you know, the cities, the country as a whole, and the world. Uh, the plan must consist of clearly defined processes and outcomes, measurements that will track our progress, an exceptional understanding of history, clearly agreed upon improvement plans, and people processes and procedures, which I refer to as the three Ps, to help keep in place and ensure that things don't regress once you know progress has been witnessed. And kind of a final comment here is just looking at the United States, we have much reason to be optimistic about our ability to make it through this pandemic. As a country, we have found a way to face tragedy and crisis many times. You know, just keep in mind that all of us just keep in mind that we are the same country that has worked its way through a civil war where approximately 620,000 soldiers died from combat, accident, starvation, and disease. We lost 116,000 soldiers in the First World War and 405 soldiers in the Second World War. We are a country of action, diligence, and opportunity. And for those who wonder about leadership, with very few exceptions in history, has the perfect person been in charge at the start of a crisis? However, by the end of a crisis, there have always been those who have created in themselves the right leader for the situation. And we have witnessed this great transformation in people from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln to FDR and so many more people at all different levels. Crisis creates leaders. Thank you, Will, very much. Some great thoughts there. Amy, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Amy, a, a, a couple of your thoughts on what recovery looks like and what to do about it, what you can do. Yeah, so um, I, I probably echo a whole lot of what Will just said, and, and Will, thank you for that, because I, I think it's um, all very relevant and very true. Uh, uh, you know, um, to piggyback on what he said, I, I just think it's, it's going to be longer than we think, but I think we're more equipped than we believe that we could have been. Um, I don't, obviously nobody saw this coming, but I, when I say equipped, I don't say equipped with respirators and tools and our tool belts, but I think um, emotionally, um, I think we are more equipped than I think we realize that we are. Um, and that's just look around at our community and look around at the support we're giving each other right now. Um, and I think people are stepping up to the plate left and right. Uh, certainly there are people that are, are not, but I find that to be the exception. But I think um, our country as a whole, um, where there's so much um, uh, just maybe bifurcation and um, opinions and so many different items 
um, especially in this political environment right now, in an election year, no less. Um, we've really got a lot to um, argue about and more people are um, being unified um, in, in a crisis. Um, so I found that encouraging. Um, and, and we're a very resilient country, you know, to piggyback on what Will was talking about. You know, we, we're very resilient and we will be resilient through this. I have no doubt about that. Um, but at what I find um, maybe the most encouraging through this is the forced innovation. Um, and, you know, a, I went to a conference um, two months ago when we could still travel, February. Um, I was in Houston at, at an advisory board conference and they compared um, healthcare innovation and the innovation curve in healthcare was compared to that of um, an orchestra innovation. Um, and you can imagine what the curve of orchestra innovation is, which is flat. <laughs> you don't innovate orchestra. Um, and that was our healthcare innovation curve at that moment. Um, now imagine it 60 days later um, and imagine where we've come from in telehealth, in um, vaccine, in, um, in so many ways um, that I can't even describe right now. But that's just one aspect that will forever change the way that we do medicine. Um, but just think about how we are communicating with our loved ones right now, um, how we are communicating with um, with friends, how we're um, you know how we're doing so many things, um, and it just forced us to innovate, think differently, read differently, experience the NFL draft tonight differently. So. Um, there's a lot that's going to change forever in our culture. And then um, that's, that's just a disruptor. You know, there's, there's disruptors in our lives and disruptors in every sector of our economy. This is a disruptor. Um, it's a tragic disruptor, but it is a disruptor. Um, and so I think, again, to Will's point before, this will change the trajectory of our, our country and the world at large um, for the foreseeable future. Um, just like 9-11 changed the way that we travel, this will change um, the way that we do life. Um, and it's, it's funny, I've got a five and a six-year-old at home, and, you know, the way that they look at life now has pivot. You know, just in, in a matter of weeks, the way that they do things and the way that they see things, they, they can turn on a dime, um, and their little lives changed real fast. Um, so, you know, I, I think the recovery is just going to be a really long time because I don't know that we ever really – I don't know that we ever go back to the normal that we had before. Um, you know, things will, will forever be different. We'll all think about things differently after this. Um, but I'm encouraged because I think we can, um, we can rebound. Our economy will rebound. It'll all come back eventually. Um, so I'm not fearful of that. Thank you, Amy, very, very much. I, I want to thank all of our panelists. Um, great discussion on sort of, what you do now to stay personally professionally motivated and sort of what recovery looks like. And I think the, the thing that comes the most out of what recovery looks like is there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of hope uh, and a lot of uncertainty and, and sort of, I mean, that's sort of where we stand. Um, I always delighted to have the five of you with us, Samiksha, Justin, Lourdes, Will, and Amy. Thank you so much for your time. We'll distribute this in about a week and we appreciate you joining us so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Scott.